Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, you grab a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 981. We are just about midway through our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and this morning we're going to continue to look at what it means for us to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And so we're in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So last week we read about the importance of unity in the church. And, and we saw that that is cultivated through thinking of one another as more important than ourselves and by prioritizing the needs of the other members of our church over our own. All right, and Paul grounded this mindset in the example of Jesus and, and what he did for us in leaving the glories of heaven to come to earth as a servant where he ultimately died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin for us. And then Paul ended the section by proclaiming that because of his humility, Jesus has now been exalted over all things. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And now as we move into verse 12, Paul draws an inference from the example of Jesus. And he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the word that we translate work out is, is somewhat obscure, uh, but the, the biggest clue to how Paul is using it is found in its position in the sentence. All right, this word completes Paul's appeal to the Philippians based on previous experience. It's, it's parallel to the word obeyed. And Paul is saying, as you've always obeyed, so now continue to work out your own salvation. In other words, working out our salvation is synonymous with living in obedience to the Lord. And this makes sense because we already know that obedience to the Lord is at the very essence of discipleship. Right? In the Great Commission, Jesus calls the church to make disciples of all nations. And they're to do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them. And this understanding is, is also uh, probable because we've already seen that this passage falls under the larger topic of what it looks like for us to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so another way of drawing out what Paul is saying here is that we should work out in practical obedience the salvation that God has worked in us by his spirit. 
Now you'll notice at the end of verse 12 that working out our salvation is to be done with fear and trembling. And the, the phrase fear and trembling is used many times in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Uh, it can refer to an overwhelming sense of panic when someone finds themselves in a dreadful situation. It's often used to describe people who come into the presence of the Lord in some form or fashion. But for believers, Jesus has removed any fear of judgment from our relationship with God. Paul is very clear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so Paul is not meaning that we should live in a constant state of, of being afraid of God and what he might do to us if we were to mess up in some way. What he's reminding the Philippians of is the fact that following Jesus is a serious thing. It's not something to be done flippantly or taken lightly. We have to remember that, that Satan and the world and our own sinful flesh, our own indwelling sin, are constantly battling against our progress in the faith. And so we aren't going to grow in our faith unless we are intentional about it. We can't just breeze through life willy-nilly. There's an intentionality that we have to bring to the table if we are going to grow spiritually. And that reality should bring a certain gravity, a, a fear and trembling, as Paul says, to our attitude towards our spiritual growth. Now, having said that, in verse 13, Paul reassures us that we are not left on our own in the struggle to be faithful in life. He tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so there's good news here. We are not left to our own devices to figure out how to be faithful in our lives. God is actually working in us. He is engaged in this process with us. We remember back in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul's confidence that because God has started this good work of salvation in the Philippians, that he will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And here, he shows us one way that God does that. God, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, gives us the desire to live obediently. And then he also empowers us to follow through with it. And so back in, in my glory days of high school athletics, one of the things that we did for speed training were, were called bungee cord drills. And so you take a bungee cord that's, I don't know, about 10 feet long, but it would expand to probably 30 or 40 feet, and then you hook one guy on each side of it. And then the first guy takes off running, and then a few moments later, the next guy takes off running. And the logic of it was that the first guy running against the resistance of the bungee cord was building power in his legs, but the, the second guy, the one who came after the first guy, the, the fast twitch muscles in his legs were actually being trained to run faster than they normally could because the tension of the bungee cord is actually making him move faster than he would be able to on his own. At least this is the logic. I don't know that it's ever been proven to work, but all the pros were doing it, and so we did it too. Right, and the, the bungee cord drill gives us a kind of illustration of what Paul is talking about here. Right, the Holy Spirit is at work in the hearts of believers. He is pulling us towards obedience as we work out our salvation. Right, he gives us the desire to be obedient. And then he also empowers us to say no to sin and to pursue holiness 
with our lives. So God's working in us is the basis of our working out of our salvation. We work because God is already working in us. And God's working in us is also the basis for our confidence as we work out our salvation. We can work because we can be confident that God is going to enable us to do what he calls us to do. Now, at the end of the day, I, I don't believe we're fully capable of understanding, wrapping our minds around how this dynamic works. But somehow it does. Right? Just like with the bungee cord, I may have been the one doing the running, but the, but the bungee cord is also pulling me forward. In the same way, God is at work in us even as we work out our own salvation. And then starting in verse 14, Paul is going to give us a specific way for us to work out our salvation. And so we'll pick up again beginning in verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so as we move into verse 14, Paul instructs the Philippians to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, grumbling refers to complaining. It's a a vocal expression of displeasure about a particular situation. And disputing is is just another word for arguing. It's it's a vocal, uh, verbal conflict that erupts when when two or more people disagree about something. And certainly this instruction is fitting in light of Paul's call last week to unity in the church, because disunity in the church is often expressed through grumbling and disputing with each other. Uh, But in a a deeper sense, not grumbling or disputing gets to the very heart of what it means for us to be God's people. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, you may wonder, Paul says all things here. You think he really means all things? And the answer to that, apparently, is yes. Paul's point would seem to be that grumbling and disputing are all always inappropriate responses for believers, whether we're talking about in the church or at work or in our homes, anywhere. He says all things. Now, this is not to say that there will not be situations in life that make us sad or, or possibly even angry. There are times when it is right to be sad or angry about something. This is not to say that we should always be happy about everything that is happening in our lives or in the world around us or pretend like nothing is wrong. But we'll remember that Paul tells the Ephesians to be angry and yet not sin. And so we we recognize that there is a way to be angry that honors the Lord in a way that does not honor the Lord. We could say that there's a, a righteous way to be sad and an unrighteous way to be sad. There's a way to experience disappointment that honors God and a way to experience disappointment that does not honor Him. Of course, all this is going to be much easier 
said than done. Right? When you say do all things without grumbling or disputing, okay. And then we get into the parking lot and it hasn't even been five minutes and the kids are fighting and arguing and you know how it goes. <clears throat> this is much easier said than done. But if we're honest, what it really comes down to is whether or not we truly trust the Lord. All right, if, if we really believe that God is in control of all things, and if we really believe that God is providentially at work in and through us in all circumstances, then in everything from having a flat tire to your annoying boss or to a disagreement with a fellow church member, there is never a reason for us to sink down to grumbling or disputing because we should know that whatever it is, God's got it. God's got it, and it's going to work out exactly the way he wants it to. And this frees us to serve others, even if it means that we don't get our way, because that's what we've been called to do as followers of Jesus. Now, that brings us uh, to how this relates to what it means for us to be God's people. And, and many of you will, will recognize that grumbling and disputing has some significant biblical precedent. If you remember the, the ancient Israelites who did not trust God as he brought them out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, they, those people were characterized by constant grumbling and disputing. As they made their way from Egypt, they constantly found something to complain and argue about. We don't have any food. Why did we ever leave Egypt? And so then God provides them with manna. And then it becomes, I'm so sick of eating manna every day. Why did we ever leave Egypt? And then it was Moses. Why, who made Moses our leader? We need another leader. Why didn't we just stay in Egypt? And then ultimately, as they were on the very edge of the promised land, they, the spies come back and they say, these Canaanites are huge. We're going to be completely destroyed by them. Why did we ever leave Egypt? And so finally, God had enough. And he sent the people back into the wilderness for 40 years. And an, an entire generation was kept from entering the promised land because of their grumbling and disputing. And so Paul here is urging us not to hinder our progress, either individually or corporately as a church, in the way that the Israelites did by grumbling and disputing. As people who have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit who is now at work in our hearts both to desire and to do what God wants us to do, we as the church are called to be the people of God that Israel failed to be. We see this even more as we continue into verse 15. Paul says that the result of our obedience is that we will be blameless and innocent, which doesn't mean sinless. We've seen before that, that blameless refers to an overall pattern of obedience in our lives that's free from any significant faults. And he also says that we will live as children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And once again, Paul is playing off the story of the Israelites. He actually takes the words of Deuteronomy 32, 5 and repurposes them. So in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 5, just before the Israelites finally go into the promised land, Moses prophesies against them. 
And he tells them that they are not going to be faithful once they get into the promised land. And, and <clears throat> listen to what he says about them. He says, They have dealt corruptly with the Lord. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And of course, if you've read the Old Testament, you know this was true. Israel utterly failed to fulfill their calling by constantly rebelling against the Lord. But again, Jesus has changed everything for God's people. And now we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit who leads us to be obedient and faithful. And so Paul takes these words from Deuteronomy and he repurposes them for us. And so by living obediently without grumbling or disputing, we prove to be true children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted world that stands in rebellion against him. Among whom, Paul says in the rest of verse 15, we shine as lights in the world. And the, the word is actually referring to stars. This is the ultimate result of Paul's instruction in this passage. As, as we obey in a way that is characterized by not grumbling or disputing with one another, or grumbling or disputing in our hearts against the Lord, we stand out in this world like stars stand out against the darkness of the night sky. And that's pretty simple to understand. People naturally tend to complain and argue. And so when you come across someone who refuses to do that, someone who seems indestructibly at peace and, and with joy in their life, it really does stand out. I, I imagine that Paul's practice of this very thing was one of his strongest evangelistic tools among the soldiers as he sat falsely and wrongfully imprisoned in Rome. As we move into verse 16, we see how we continue to stand out in the world. That's by holding fast to the word of truth, which is the gospel message. Paul says, so that he may be proud on the day of Christ that he did not run or labor in vain. As we've already seen, because the Philippians stand out in their society, they are currently experiencing persecution as a result. Right? Society wants them to get back in line with their agenda and, and to forget about all of this Jesus stuff. Right? But if they abandoned the faith, that would imply that the Philippians had been false converts, and therefore all of the work and the suffering that Paul had done for them would have been in vain. It would have been for nothing. But he's confident that that will not be the case for them. And so he calls them to hold fast or to stand firm, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, so that at the day of Christ he will know that all of his work and suffering for them was ultimately worthwhile. And then finally, as Paul closes in verses 17 and 18, he says that even if he is to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of their faith, he is glad and rejoices. And what he means is that he is content to die for his ministry, if that is, in fact, what ends up happening to him. You see, in, in Romans, Paul refers to the obedient lifestyle of believers as a living sacrifice. Right? It's, it's our obedience that is what we can offer to the Lord on this side of the cross. And in the Old Testament, a drink offering was often poured out on top of a sacrifice as, a, as a, an illustration, a picture of total devotion to the Lord. And once you pour this out, you can't get it back again. And so this was a, 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 a picture of total devotion 
to the Lord. And Paul has already stated that he expects to be released, but he doesn't know that he will be. And if it turned out that he was, in fact, put to death for his ministry, he says that he would rejoice in that scenario. And not only that, but he calls the Philippians to rejoice along with him. He is glad to die as a, as a, a picture of a drink offering on top of the Philippians' a sacrificial offering of obedience. We've already seen that Paul desired to go and be with Jesus anyway. And so there would be no fear or hesitation to try and avoid martyrdom for him. And of course, while we, we understand that Paul was released in this case, we know that's ultimately what did happen, as he was eventually rearrested, and, and he did pour out his life as a drink offering in exactly this way. So Paul was a man who practiced what he preached, and he calls us to imitate him in the way that we view and act in the world. And so in our passage this morning, we are reminded of the fact that being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is, is a great privilege that comes with a high calling. As we seek to live our lives in line with the gospel, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling to do all things without grumbling or disputing, and to hold fast to the word of life. And in doing so, we will fulfill our mission as God's people to be lights in the world that point others to the hope that is only found in Jesus. And the good news is that in the midst of this huge and often difficult responsibility, God is at work in us both giving us the desire to do what he calls us to do and then enabling us to execute it in our lives, enabling us to do what brings honor and glory to him. So this morning, let's pursue being the people and the church that God has called us to be in every way. Let's pray together.